Want to experience Christ United like never before? Download our app today. You can watch live and previous messages, take sermon notes, get calendar updates, find giving options, and more. Just go to your app store and search Christ United. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on our church, check out ChristIsLove.org. Or you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by following at ChristUnitedMB. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's message. I'm like all of you. I'm so blessed to be a part of this body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And the church as Christ's body goes into the world and is Christ wherever we are working, living, serving, doing our lives. The church is Christ. We are so blessed to be a part of this body and we're so blessed to be a part of that together. When I heard Jeff talking about everything going on, I thought, I want to join that church. <laughs> Today, um, we're going to talk about throw away faith. To get started, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Come Holy Spirit and burn like fire among us, we pray in Jesus' name. If you brought your Bible with you today, um, turn to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. Chapter 3, Philippians. It's way back there in the New Testament. Chapter 3, beginning with verse 3 through 14. I want to start today by just asking you, how many of you would, would think about where you live, your home, your apartment, the place that you live in? You'd raise your hand and say, there's at least one room in that place that I just really wouldn't care about anybody else seeing because when I open the door and see all the things that are cluttered up in there and all the stuff that I've accumulated, I go, oh my Lord, sheesh. And I shut the door. How many of you raise your hand and say you got a room like that? How many of you raise your hand and say it's my room? <laughs> um, how many of you would say that there were times when you looked at all that stuff and you keep saying, one day, one day, I'm going to do something about that until finally it just gets so overbearing. You say, okay, today's today. Enough is enough. I am throwing some things away. How many of you would say, well, I'm not so good at getting rid of stuff these days. I like my stuff. So I keep accumulating stuff. Early in our marriage, Nancy and I kind of had this little formula. We didn't have a lot of things, and it was sort of an unspoken formula, but the idea was buy something, use it up till it has no value, throw it away. Pretty easy, right? So somewhere, I don't know where, over the course of our marriage, it changed to buy stuff, use it up till it is of no value to you or anybody else, take it out to the garage. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, um, I read this statistic recently, and it's true. I'm sure it's true. Historically speaking, there have been studies done that nothing that's ever made it out to the garage, been taken out there, ever makes it back into the house again, like ever. And so it was this situation we found ourselves in um, a few weeks ago that 
precipitated me making a few trips to the landfill. And uh, I loaded up my car with um, paint buckets, plastic five-gallon buckets. There was some bird seed that had gone bad. I know it was bad because I planted some and no birds ever grew. Um, <laughs> that was stupid, wasn't it? Little cardboard boxes of stuff with the bottom rotten out. You know how that is. And you don't want to jig them too much because you don't know what's going to crawl out of there. Little bugs and things. Um, and a uh, sprayer bottle, the kind you mix up Roundup in, you know. And you pump up and you go and kill weeds. And you feel very powerful when you do that. Um, and so... Do any of those pump-up bottles ever last longer than three weeks? That's just, I don't know. This one just was broken. So I took all this stuff, and there was a table with a wobbly leg, too, that I couldn't get in my car, and so I did this He-Man kind of thing for my own entertainment. I said, this looks like it'll break. I'm out by myself in the driveway, nobody's around. And I said, I'll put it over my head and throw it. So I went, boom, and it just broke into, like, 50 or 60 pieces I could pick up and put in my car, and I went, that was cool. (laughs) So this sort of a common drama that plays itself out in everybody's house. It's as ordinary as brushing your teeth. Things get used up. They're no longer of value to you or anybody else. Need to be disposed of, but once in a while, Just every once in a while, not too often, you hear about somebody throwing away that which is very good. People that just throw away stuff in general, um, I'm not talking about those careless families that are full of waste and indifference toward the things that they have because they have more than they could possibly ever use, so they just kind of scatter it everywhere. I'm not talking about that, and I'm not talking about those rare occasions where something... I'm talking about rare occasions where something good and valuable gets thrown away. Now, you can think of some of those yourself. They don't happen very often. But they do happen. There are cases in the Bible where uh, storms came up on ships and the crew, in order to keep the ship from sinking, had to throw stuff overboard. And so they would begin to do that. There's one in Jonah and there's a story of one of Paul's journeys where this violent storm came up and they started throwing things over because the ship was going down. They probably threw out food, good food and water, and clothing, but they were perfectly willing to get rid of it because it was a matter of life and death. And in view of the crisis, even that which is good had to go. Most likely, very likely, no such occasion is ever going to come up in your life. It's interesting to read about. But so what? Well, even though it's rare and it might not ever happen to you, I still feel I ought to share with you a case of someone who tossed that which was very valuable. If you turn to Philippians chapter 3, 
So there was this guy, and his name was Paul. You might have heard of him. He wrote, sheesh, half the New Testament, it seems like. He was this guy in his younger days, if you remember, whose sole mission in life was to persecute Christians. In other words, he made it his mission to hunt them down, to find them, to torture them, to try to say, do you want to change your mind about being a Christian? He would even sometimes kill them. That was his main goal in life. And his name was Saul back then. Saul of Tarsus. And then one day when he was hunting down Christians, he was on this road called the Damascus Road, and he was making this journey to persecute more Christians, and he was going down the road, and all of a sudden light comes out of heaven, strikes him to his knees in the face such so that he's blind, and he hears this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It changed him forever. He went from that moment to become one of the greatest apostles, Christians, you can think of. He became known as the Apostle Paul. And so now we find him years later writing to his friends in Philippi. It's a church in a Philippian church. It's in northern Greece. And we begin in verse 3. It says, It is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, Though I myself, Paul says, have reason for such confidence. Continuing in verse 4, If somebody thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. It's like Paul is saying in his Paul, sweet kind of Paul kind of way, hey, I had a lot of really good stuff going on in my life. I had my identity. I had my genealogy. I had my family tree. I had my standing in the community. Look, all of this stuff in my life is really good, Paul would say. Well, maybe not the torturing and killing, but... He had a lot of good stuff going on. Look at verse 5. He's first, he's saying this. He's saying, I'm a Jew. Verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Paul is saying, I'm proud that I'm a Jew. I'm proud that I'm a member of the house of Israel. We have been severely mistreated. We have been spit upon in every country that you know of and can name in the world, we have literally been destroyed, he would say, in community after community. But I remind you that we Jews have clung to our faith in God. We have kept the light on when there was darkness in the world everywhere. We have given the world the whole basis for moral and ethical behavior in the Ten Commandments. Hey, listen, Paul would say, I'm proud that I'm an Israelite, but I'm really proud that I was born a Jew. I have encountered a very few people in my life and known a few and heard about a few that for whatever reason they got a little disenchanted with the church and they just hauled off inside to go to the synagogue. Okay. Paul was saying, not me. 
That is not how I got here. I was born a Jew. I didn't come here on a whim. I didn't just start being Jewish because I was upset. I was born a Jew. Then look at verse 5. We continue. There's some more good stuff. He says, Circumcised on the eighth day of my life of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul saying, my tribe, Benjamin, didn't amount to much, just a small little tribe, least tribe probably that you can think of. But God has always used the small and insignificant to do great things. Paul would say, you did, did you know my tribe, Benjamin? Did you know it contributed to Israel its first king, King Saul? Oh, by the way, I, w I was named after him, Saul of Tarsus. I'm proud of that. And we continue still in verse 5. In regard to the law, he said, I'm a Pharisee. Paul, Paul is pointing out his denomination is a Pharisee. I know Paul would say, there are Jews who would have different views than me, but I am proud to be a Pharisee. Being a Pharisee simply means this. It means we follow the Bible. We have built synagogues all over the place, but the one thing, the one thing that we hold on to as the center of importance is to know the Scripture, to listen to the Scripture. Paul would say, I live by the book. You can ask anybody that. Is there anything, if there's anything he would say that just really ticks me off, is anybody that weakens the Scripture, distorts it, trades it for something else. I can't stand it, Paul would say. So here we have this guy, Paul, is pretty much saying, I really had what I think is a lot of good stuff going on in my life. My standing, my character, my denomination, my family, my genealogy, it's all unsurpassed. And yet, Paul makes this amazing statement. Look at verse 7. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may, be, that I may gain Christ and found in Him. Can you believe that? Paul is saying, it's all garbage. I've tossed it. I took it to the dump. Why? This is not the story of some man who's just kind of depressed and feels bad and he's torn up with guilt inside and he, he's staying awake at night going, Oh, no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? He's, this is not about guilt. All of Paul's history and achievements that I've shared with you, basically, they're good. This is not the case of some brand new Christian you hear about 
sometimes being asked to give up terrible old habits. You know how some people distort what Christians, new Christians are being asked to do? We're not saying like some new Christians think, now stop drinking, stop running around with women, stop being so mean to your wife and children, stop cussing, just quit being ugly in general. you got to get rid of all that stuff and come to Jesus. We're not talking about a man here who said he was guilty or that he had a bad history and he was depressed. We're talking about a man here who said that if you reviewed his past before he came to Christ, you'd find good stuff. Nevertheless, Paul is saying, I took it to the dump. Why? Well, was the church some kind of case of upward mobility in Paul's mind? I mean, was he thinking, well, 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 it seems like everybody that's anybody is going to the church, so I might as well just leave the synagogue and go on over and join the church. No. No, then why did he do it? He didn't have to do it. Think about it. Every church in the world that has ever been that's Christian would love to have Paul, the Apostle Paul, as a member. Can you imagine him standing before some membership committee at the church and church going, no, no, I don't think so. You know, you got that torture thing in your background. But I'm a published author. Can you imagine any church saying no to Paul? Well, sorry you don't fit in here. Any church in the world would have been glad to have him. He doesn't even have to do all this tossing of his past to get in a church is what I'm saying. He could do, think about it, he could do what a lot of very good moral people do. You know, we got a lot of very good people in the world. They're morally good. They're members of community stuff. They do good things in the community. They just haven't been going to church, don't haven't given their lives to Christ, but they wake up one day and they say, you know, we ought to go to church. We ought to go to church. He could do what a lot of good moral good people do, and that is just add Jesus and join the church. You know, just join the church and pick and choose the parts you like. You know, just like, Come now and then. Give now and then. Maybe serve on a committee now and then. Help out now and then. Now and then you die. Then you go to heaven. Maybe. There are a lot of people who do that, believe it or not. Paul could have done that. He didn't have to toss his past out the back door. It was good. Who would have objected if he did that? And yet he threw it all away. Why would Paul throw away what appeared to be so good? I think, I think it is because he believed with every fiber in his being what he had just written in Philippians chapter 2. If you could flip back to chapter 2 and look at verse 5. 
It's only one chapter back from where we are. Make your own attitude that of Jesus Christ, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality of God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name I think it's because he really, really believed that. This is what God is like. It's not upward mobility, but downward mobility. Jesus is God. And he came from the presence of everything that is holy, from all that was good. That's what Philippians 2 is telling us. He came from the ivory palaces and all the angels and all the glory and from all the praise. He possessed all that was good, so very good, and he tossed it and became a human being like you and me, obedient even unto death. He tossed it all for us. When Paul looked at the things he valued in his life as good as they were and compared them to the absolute beauty and good of knowing Jesus and his word and his Lord as his Lord, he said, it looked good, but compared to knowing and loving Jesus Christ, it is garbage. Paul says, how can I, how can anyone, how can anyone claim to be a follower of that man and seek upward mobility? How can I hang on to my pride and my agenda and my investments and just add Jesus as it may or may not fit in? How can I tack a little bit of Christianity around the fringes of my life but keep my life intact when this new faith in Jesus who gave it all up, took it to the heavenly dump and came here and became a servant was for me? Um, <clears throat> I've got a, three sons and... One of them lives in California, and I only get to see him. We only get to see him two or three times a year, not much. Um, it's not like you can buy an $800 ticket and just run out there on a whim. Um, and so um, he comes home two or three times a year, I'm sorry. And so when he's here, it's a joyous time, and it's never enough. I'm not one of those parents who um, has refused to let his child go um, because... For Pete's sake, he's in Santa Barbara, California. That's about as far as you can go. Gone about as far as he could go. But he was here. And when he's here, it's always so good. Um, and uh, one of the things we did while he was here is we, we were on a pontoon boat. And 
and we were late in the afternoon, and so we were just uh, going down the river with family, not all the family, but most of us, and um, his fiance was here with him, and we were enjoying the river late afternoon on the Waccamaw. It was a beautiful afternoon, and the sun was kind of dancing off the water, and and um, I was looking at him because I, I do this crazy thing, and it's probably more dramatic than a lot of people do. Like, yeah, you just go away, you know, and you'll come back, and I'll see you again, and it doesn't bother me either way. It bothers me. Bothers. Y'all understand? Anybody? Um, so he, I knew that two days later he'd be leaving. So I do this thing in my mind where I try to brace myself um, against that moment, sorry, against that time when he would leave because I hate feeling that, hate it. So when he was here, um, we would do things like lift weights and eat a lot of good food. Um, See if I can get the picture. That's not him. (laughs) There he is. He wouldn't look at me, but he's cute. I mean, he really is. Um, so I was looking at him on the river and, and um, this thing just uh, popped into my mind these, this thought like how do I ever get over you and then I looked at my family And I said, I can't get over any of them. So uh, when we hug goodbye at the airport, it feels like, you know, right there, an inch apart, a foot apart. Around the corner he goes with his suitcase, 50 yards apart, a state apart, and then a country apart. And I know... People have given up a lot more than just being on the other side of the country. Just say, I'm just saying to you, for about a week, it stinks. Because I don't like feeling like that for a week. So the, the feeling was, how, do I, how could I ever get over that? God looks at all of you, <clears throat> and he says, how can I get over them? How can I? Some people, when they understand that God threw away everything for them and that he became a servant and that he died for them and that he loved them no matter what they've done, how they lived, how they were currently living, and that he wants a relationship with them, when they understand that, they, what they say is, well, I don't want my agenda anymore. I don't want my needs, my pride. I don't want any of that first in my life. And they come forward and they kneel um, right up here some Sundays. They come to the altar and say, God, I want you more than anything. 
I want you more than anything this world has to offer. Because when I look at you and what you have to offer me and what, how beautiful that life is, everything in my life looks like garbage. And one thing God said to me about that whole separation thing is, and this is so true, I just felt in my spirit, God said, Ken, he's as close to heaven in California as he is in Horry County. And I'm as close to him there as if when he's here with you. People come and say, I want to be like Jesus. You know what Paul thought? Um, he thought, this is just so wacky, just think about this. He thought that if you're going to be a Christian, you ought to be like Jesus. Go figure. So what do you do with your pride and your agenda for your life? What do you do with your selfishness? I'm selfish. Some of you are too. I know you are. Don't get smug and sanctimonious. What do you do with your independence? What do you do with your calendar to which you may or may not add a little bit of church every now and then? You take it to the dump in order that you may know Jesus Christ fully and be fully alive. This very unusual man named Paul had this wacky counterculture idea that the Christian life would be, would be to be like Jesus, to love, to care, to give, to serve, to suffer. And to sacrifice like he did. And finally, I want you to get this. This is really important. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, Not that I've already attained this, for I've, nor have I arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Paul is saying, don't get it twisted. I don't want you to get the idea that I've arrived. I just hadn't put my feet down and said, I'm all I need to be now. I'm a Christian and I'm perfect, perfect, perfect. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, I have not attained my goal. But he said, I'll tell you this, being like Jesus is about the only thing on my mind these days. You see, Paul is on absolute fire. He is burning up to be like Jesus. He wants to press on because he has not arrived. The idea is running and running hard for a long time toward this goal with everything in him. The idea is being a runner, sort of like maybe Forrest Gump. He gets to the end of the period like, I came to the ocean and I said to myself, I'm here at the ocean. Maybe I'll just run across Alabama. So I ran across Alabama. But the idea is, is running and straining forward, maybe, maybe like this guy. Paul was like, I'm going after Christ with everything in me, everything in me, with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, everything. I'm running toward this. Temples pounding, heart pumping, Muscles aching, face sweating. I'm running. If I could be like Jesus. Anybody want to run toward Christ today?
Anybody want to run and not give up? Listen. I know. I know Paul is, to say the least, extremely unusual. And you might never in your whole, whole life meet anybody quite like him. I mean, somebody that takes Jesus that seriously. But I felt obligated to bring it up to you today because, you see, once in a while, somebody does. And they bring light to the world. And they bring goodness. And they bring healing. And they bring sacrifice. And they bring unconditional love. And they bring Jesus. Wherever they live their lives, they bring Jesus. You know, once in a while you meet somebody like that. And I I thought I ought to bring it up because I thought my brother, my dear sister, it might be you. Thanks for listening to this podcast by Christ United. If you'd like to respond to today's message, or if you want to share how God is using this ministry in your life, please send us an email to media at christislove.org. Or you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by following at ChristUnitedMB. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.